good old Johnson and and his collection of uh, people from posh boys' schools and chances, you know, going to make it even worse. But my sense is the thing has to get worse before it can get better. So, uh, Ed, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You are author of Stand and Deliver and More, uh, your systems thinker who's worked in government and in private industry, co-host of the wonderful podcast, The Hidden Power, and your chair and trustee of the Think Tank Demos. Welcome I to was. the show. I you was. Were. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. No, no, no. That's uh, finished some time ago. Oh. It says that on your website. I was just taking off what's that's there in the oh, about section. I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that. I'll have to get in there and uh, correct it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Anyway, well, that's, that's something I've learned already. So that's, that's a good start. <laughs> so why don't you describe for us what, what exactly systems thinking is? Because that's, that's the general theme of your, your podcast. So for, for people who maybe don't get what that means, it sounds a very sort of contrived term, but it, it's really important, I think, for, for how we discuss um, government politics and, and our country. So why don't you give us an explanation? Yeah, yeah. It, it's something happens and it's about standing back and sort of trying to get into what's happening and why it's happening and so on, and not just taking something at face value. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm on the train. Uh, this is a year or two ago. Uh, it's jammed. Uh, the announcement comes over the, over the uh, Tannoy. Um, this was when it was Virgin Trains. Um, it's because of half term. Yeah, so half term, load of people traveling. And then you go, well, that's terribly interesting. Uh, is this half term thing not predictable? Um, you know, didn't it happen last year? Don't you know when it's supposed to be going on? So uh, why is it that you uh, don't do what British Rail used to do and put on extra trains? And you go back and you find that the contracts uh, for the privatised railways uh, don't include any provision for half term and actually providing uh, a flexible service for half term. Then you stand back and you say, well, why on earth do the contracts not include this? And then you go back into the Department of Transport and you find that you've got a lot of civil servants there who in many respects are very able but actually none of them, uh, by and large, have ever run a contract. Uh, none of them have ever run a railway, have no grasp. Um, and so you're beginning to build up a bigger picture of why we're sitting there squashed uh, in this uh, particular uh, environment. And the more you look at situations of concern, and, you, and particularly you look at how, uh, how much of a mess there is everywhere, um, you realise that it's, it's people often leap onto the person, you know, it's this politician's problem, it's that political party, it's this leader, and it becomes personalised, and actually it's the system. And I've often said that if I were working in the system of governing that we have, you know, if I were in the House of Commons, well, frankly, I wouldn't be doing any better than anyone else is there because the system is 
to use another term, and do stop me if this all gets too much, it's structurally determined to do what it does, and you get out the end. It's like cats. They're structurally determined to kill birds. Yeah, terribly sorry. Um, whether we like it or not, cats are going to kill birds. Well, I'm terribly sorry. The system of governing we've got is structurally determined to produce the results that we get. Mm. I mean, that's the theme I came across in, uh, there's a great book by Isabel Harding. I think I've got it over here. Isabel, yeah. Isabel Hardman. Sorry, apologies, Isabel. Uh, it's called the Why We Get the Wrong Politicians. And it's yeah. one of the first books that I, I had ever read on, on the British political system that was, that was really actually exploring the reasons for getting the people we get. Because I know, I, I, I've lamented and I'm not alone, definitely. Um, uh, it, the, the, the sheer like, seeming incompetence of, of the people that we have in power and, and the, the system's ability to solve the problems that we have today uh, in the 21st century. I mean, I, I literally this morning was writing um, a, like a, an intro for the first chapter of my second book. So that's going to be fun. Mm. Um, but uh, the first chapter is basically, it's called Invisible Threats. And it's uh, like just going through, like starting with COVID, because that's the main theme of the book and what, what happened with it. But climate change, pollution, um, information and cyber warfare, the financialization of our economy, censorship, um, and, and social media. And, and all, of, all of these things are, 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 are problems that it's, it's not like we don't know they're a problem. Mm. It's that we, we simply don't know, like our, our system is just struggling to deal with, with them. Even, even just if you look at the, the report that was put out on, um, on social media's influence on the Brexit vote and the, 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 the report by the DCMS committee. And they, they were just saying, look, our electoral commission needs more power to deal with this. Yeah. And yeah. yet nothing has been done. It's four years since the vote. We yeah. still have the exact same problems and we're, we're not moving forward with it. And, yeah. and uh, it's, 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 it was actually quite refreshing for me to come across first this book and then, then yourself and your podcast where, you, where you're trying to understand like the actual system that gives us the results that we get rather yeah. than, the, uh, rather than the, the people who are attempting to grapple with the system itself. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, the, the example I always use, uh, if, you, if you take uh, gender balance uh, in, well, in the House of Commons, but anywhere, you go over to Switzerland and they have a very different uh, system of governing there. And uh, the power is decentralised to what's called the cantons, which are the local government. The, you know, Geneva is the biggest at half a million people. The smallest is 28,000. They uh, then uh, operate through high levels of decentralization. In fact, the constitution says, you know, the, the, the federation, which is what it is, would only do those things which can't be done locally. You then find at the federal level, there's a federal, who's the prime minister or president of Switzerland? No one knows uh, because there isn't one. Uh, they have a president of the council who is only president for a year. The ruling council is uh, always a coalition um, and that, that job rotates. My word, what do you find? On balance, there's always equal or indeed even more women in their federal council uh, uh, on, on average. 
And it's because of the system and the way in which people can, can come through that system. Um, you, you take the constitutions that, that are around, and of course, I mean, the UK constitution is, is sort of almost disappeared to nothing other than that which the judges tell a government it can't do. But you take a constitution like the US constitution, well, I mean, that was developed uh, in, in, in uh, 200 years ago. So here's a piece of technology that we're trying to run the modern world with, which is 200 years ago. Well, I mean, if you went into a hospital and said, fine, uh, I'm okay, I've got problems with my brain, uh, I'm very happy, please apply what you were doing 200 years ago in order to cure me, uh, you'd say, you must be mad, mate. Um, well, that's precisely what we do with um, uh, our constitution. So you take your point, which is absolutely spot on about the Electoral Commission. Well, unless that is put into a constitution, and a constitution is, if you like, a meta-law that sits above the politicians, the political parties and all the rest of it, and can only be changed uh, by essentially the population saying, yeah, these are the rules of the game that apply to you down there who are meant to be serving us. So unless that electoral commission requirement goes into the constitution, the politicians will fiddle with it. It's, it's like, um, you know, if you take a game of football, um, which has some very well and very well developed rules that make it the game it is, um, well, the way politics uh, and government works in Britain is that once a team is winning, they can change the rules. So, so there you are, uh, you're Manchester United against Arsenal, uh, you score a goal, Alex Ferguson pops up and, and works out that actually they've got some super whizzy fast forwards, so we're going to adapt the offside rule to negate their influence. Um, and that's actually what happens uh, precisely uh, when you don't have uh, a constitution which sets the rule book for the, for the politicians and the government. Mm. Now, I want to get to your discussion about how we need a constitution. You're not the only person that's, that's talked to me about this. But uh, I, I want to start with the... So you're a systems thinker, and, and we are essentially proposing here that the British system of government is broken. Yeah. So, uh, like, what analysis would you use to uh, on any system you were you were trying to trying to look at or or assess or analyze? Like, what markers do you look for to say that a system is broken? Like, what what are like the fundamental uh, yeah. like red flags that come up and where you say, yeah. okay, we need to fix this? Yeah, um, the the biggest one is feedback. Okay, so any organization and, and you know a company. Um, in, in, indeed, a, a local voluntary organisation, anything, has to have feedback on the results or outcomes of what it's done. Uh, you take a company <clears throat> and you say, okay, just carry on. You know, you don't need profit and loss sale, uh, statements. You don't need to know where your sales are. You don't need to know uh, what uh, products, uh, uh, how well received they are by the customers, you just carry on. Well, pretty soon, soon you'll go bust. Um, and, and it's a truism across organisations. You need feedback. Look at government. 
There we are. Brum. Here's a law. They all get terribly excited. They pass the law. Um, worth saying at that point, what is a law? Well, a law is words on a piece of paper. It has absolutely no worth until it's put into action, into effect. Now, we bung these laws out. There have been 3,500 new laws on top of all the other ones in the reign of uh, the current queen. So there's piles of laws, even more piles of regulations, uh, piles of policies, piles of statutes, piles of new organizations. Are they working? And actually, we don't know. So the laws uh, accumulate uh, and uh, some of them do work, a lot of them don't work. Well, if you don't know where you are or, or where you're going or whether you're got getting there, then you know, it's inevitable that you'll end up with what we get. So what, what, what happens in the absence of uh, feedback, um, and there's another point of feedback I'll come on in a minute, uh, in the absence of feedback, you get politicians rhetorically uh, massaging statistics, spinning, uh, briefing to prove that it's, that it's all fine. Uh, and, and that's uh, that particular piece of infrastructure of course, you can't leave to the politicians. You have to take it outside the political arena. So you've got some independent, uh, comprehensive sense of whether these things are happening. Now, the other point about feedback is that, okay, you get some feedback and it says, yeah, the law's not working for, to take a simple example. And you need something to happen. You take a thermostat on the wall, okay? The, uh, you set it to 20. When it goes over the 20, it goes click, and it turns the boiler off. Uh, when it goes below 20, it goes click, and it turns the boiler on. And you need the same thing in government. So there is a power of, uh, called abandonment, uh, which, which was the phrase that Peter Drucker uh, used in uh, 1969, uh, you, you, you need a power of abandonment that says, right, you know, it may be very well intentioned, uh, it may be important, but it's not working, click, we've turned it off. Um, that's the first one is feedback. Uh, the second big one is what we call the citizen branch. Um, so you have representative democracy, um, which has become in effect, uh, vote and go away. So lots of interest on the, the citizens and the voters coming up to the election, a sort of bit just after the election, otherwise we're not here. Um, so we need uh, what's called the citizen branch, which is about participative and deliberative democracy in between times, particularly for really difficult issues. Um, a really difficult issue is called abortion. Uh, the Irish government, uh, the politicians were really afraid of touching this, but because they've got some history of using uh, citizens' assemblies and engagement to address really, which started off uh, in times of the Good Friday Agreement, to, to address those issues, and they've got very practiced at doing it. They did it really, really well. Meantime, here we are with Brexit, 
and we'll have a referendum. <laughs> and it's a free-for-all. And it's sort of people piling in in every direction with all sorts of mud, fake news, and God knows what. Um, we don't need that. We do need what Ireland did. Um, so you've got the citizen branch. The third area, I mean, there are others, but the third area that I've really put my finger on is what I call preferential lobbying. So this is whereby, I mean, typically it can be all sorts of big organizations, but typically the wealthy, big business, big industry lobby like mad. It wasn't always thus. And indeed, it, it's not natural or the way things need to happen. There are all sorts of reasons why preferential lobbying excludes the citizen, excludes us from any seat at the decision table. Uh, and, and therefore, what you find is that uh, in politics and in policy, decisions are skewed more and more and more to what industry and business want. What you find is um, that, of course, this is all about wealth appropriation. It's not about wealth creation because uh, a lobby will come in. Uh, they want a tax rate change. They want a regulation change. Uh, they want to prevent, I mean, a classic one was in the States um, where a company called Intuit uh, have uh, a piece of software which helps people to fill in their tax returns. Tax returns in the US are formidably complicated and you either need the software or you need an advisor, even if you're a relatively poor person. Um, so Intuit has built this big, big business uh, with this piece of software. In California, shock horror, they've got tax simplification going on. This is a scandal. What happens if this goes throughout the US? We're gonna lose money. Pile in the lobbies, uh, pile in the conversations with congressmen that say, oh, terribly interesting, uh, congressman, you know, we're uh, always out to, um, you know, give uh, donations to the right people, um, pausing conversation, terribly interesting, you know, we really think the tax implication laws are uh, all wrong for whatever reason. There is never any, uh, any explicit deal, but each side understands. So the money piles over to the congressman, the congressman uh, votes against any tax simplification, hey presto, Intuit keep this pile of money for themselves at the expense of citizens. And that writ large is an awful lot of what happens. Then you find, guess what? People feel, you know, we have absolutely no power. What the hell are we gonna do? Oh my God, uh, populism uh, rises up. Because, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to vote for one of these leaders who says, you know, we need to drain the swamp. Well, yeah, we need to drain the swamp. Uh, so we have Trump and we have Johnson and Bolsonaro and et cetera, et cetera. Um, not a solution, alas. But, but your point, Josh, you're making there that all of these um, uh, uh, detrimental things that we observe actually stem from that single cause a vast systems of government is absolutely spot on. I mean, I, I, I've always been uh, vaguely obsessed with asking, like, why does that happen? If I get like something bad happened to me, I'm really bad at just accepting that that's like how it is. I really like, I, I can get really I obsessively know. irritated by it. 
This, this, this proves that you are uh, uh, inherently a systems thinker because uh, children arrive in the world and you know they're crawling around and so uh, suddenly they start asking these really annoying questions why you know why i mean it can get quite embarrassing you know is that man standing next to me so fat you know why i mean a classic one i had you know why time daddy you know well that's a big one but you know why are the leaves green why this why that uh brilliant but then you know, we, we as parents, it's like, oh, God, I can't cope. You know, please go and play with your toys. Shut up. Then you get into school. School is this sort of massive socialization process, which, which basically is saying, okay, there are limits to the world. We've all got to live together. So, you know, we'll just have this sort of box of national curriculum and behavior. And the whys start to drive up, uh, dry up, sorry. Systems thinkers are people who never have stopped asking the question, why? Hmm. I mean, the, the, the thing that I've always thought it was, um, was that, or I find anyway, if I can, if I can find like some explanation for like a poor decision or something bad that's happened in, in my life or in the world or in politics, if I can understand what it is, it gives me like a little bit of comfort that at least I know there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think people, it, it, there's a classic, right, here's, um, okay, the, 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 there's a waterfall near us, big waterfall. And, and in fact, it's uh, so dangerous that uh, people do die on it. Um, and, uh, the, the, the latest was actually a, a child didn't die and, and sort of came down and was rescued at the bottom. Uh, lots of official signs saying danger. Uh, do not swim, you know, thorough, fine, okay, no why. And then some local folks have written uh, in on the ground, uh, in the last five years, uh, four people have died uh, in this pool. The, the problem in the pool is it, it gets very cold and, and you, you could, it looks beautiful, diving rapidly, you'll uh, uh, get, feel, you know, get muscle paralysis. Um, and uh, that sign there giving the why has so much more impact. And uh, I'm totally with you, you know, if only every public authority, indeed every private authority, had an obligation to tell us why we can't do something or should do something, it would help. Yeah, I definitely think that'll probably help us in our current situation where the why is, is a big part of, of people's questioning of, of government policy on, on COVID. Like, I think that would probably quell a lot of um, people's concerns about it. Like, cause I, I get people, a lot, a lot of the concern about it is that, that they've gone authoritarian and yeah. it's because uh, absent of the reason why people speculate. And, yeah. and when the evidence points to they're getting authoritarian, whilst it could still point to they're trying to protect us, that, that without the, their actual physical explanation, and like, like you see if Boris Johnson sat down for three hours on a live stream and with like four scientists and explained like in detail the, like the research that they've done, the reasons for their policies, what they are thinking, then I, I honestly feel like I could, I could accept it more because there would be explanation. Well, like I could disagree I, with the explanation, but it would at least give me an idea. And, and, and then you know give, given that we're now informed uh we understand 
they are actually motivated. Yeah, rather than just being enforced, you know, off you go. And, you know, it's like, okay, I understand that. And, and you know, I mean, in terms of us all sort of trying to avoid COVID, uh, you know, we're all trying to piece together because it, it's a new situation. It's one of high uncertainty, which is exactly particularly where you need systems thinking. Um, but, um, uh, sorry, I've lost my train That's all right. I was going to ask you about um, the the idea of a citizens assembly because you you kind of touched on yeah. it there. And yeah. do you think that do you think that this could could genuinely be a thing that would work in the UK? Uh, well, they certainly work. Uh, point one, and and indeed, you know, I mean, the Irish abortion referendum is a classic. They've been running quite a lot of them on climate change in France. The the crucial thing, though, is that they have to be part of the system. So in the UK, it's almost certain that, I mean, there are some running on climate change now, and, and uh, they are linked into some of the parliamentary committees, but that they're not linked into government, but essentially saying, you know, this is something that is uh, a legitimate an established part of how we take decisions and we take notice of them. Um, so citizens assemblies, a lot of people, I, I'm not of the view that, you know, people are really too dumb to understand these things. All experience, and I mean, you only have to look at a jury trial uh, and, and preferably be on a jury trial, which my wife, I've never been on one actually, but my, my wife was. And you've got a great, you've got 12 people, a great range of people, you know, anything from, I don't know, the, 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 the refuse collector through to uh, a doctor. Um, and the capacity of people, if provided with information, uh, education, knowledge, data, to go, yeah, on balance, there. There was, a, there was a classic one, Channel 4 did it years and years ago on capital punishment. And, and it was within a studio, but it was a, a, a citizen's assembly, randomly selected group of people from all over the place. Capital punishment, okay, vote. First of all, are you in favor or against? The majority were in favor. Went through a process of deliberation, uh, all of the upsides, downsides, and all the rest of it, at the end of which, the majority were against. Um, so, so, I mean, th this really is a piece of uh, constitutional technology, to give it that term, that, that does work, that is powerful, that gets us back involved. You know, it, it's, we're supposed to be living democracies, <laughs> um, but most of us haven't noticed for quite a long time. <laughs> it gets us involved. Having made a decision, back to your point, we're then motivated to do it. Um, so, so yeah, but, but of course, the people at the centre who got into these positions of power, the politicians, the government ministers, and the higher you go, the more it is that you're interested in power. Um, that, that, that's their principal motivation. And if you get there, and then you say, oh, by the way, I'd like a bit of that power over here with people, and, and you're sort of not going to have an awful lot of involvement. But, you know, you're going to do what it says. Uh, this is not popular. 
So again, it comes back to having a rule book that says bad luck politicians are not here for your egos or your power needs. Uh, you're here to uh, operate a system that's going to work for us all. Mm. I mean, I guess there's, there's uh, people, people, I don't know, I don't know about made fun of, but definitely disparaged that phrase, take back control that was put yeah. forward in the Brexit debate. And I honestly don't think that there is a more important phrase in British politics that really defines like the issue yeah. that we have. Like the, because I feel like, I mean, this is one of the points I'm, I make in my book, um, which you can pre-order in the link below, anyone that yeah. wants to. Um, I will. <laughs> what's, is, it, what's it called, John? It's called Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. Brilliant. And one of the, one of the things I kind of looked at in it was the fact that like the, the, everyone just assumed that like the the brexiteers were just racists and they they hated the eu and they were really mad about about something and they mm. just they were mad about immigrants or or like they i don't think people took a long time to really understand it and i still think people haven't but like right. one of the things that i really came across was uh there was a guy who's oh what was his name david sumter and he wrote this great book called um somewheres or or somewheres versus anywheres or the road no the road to somewhere that's what it was mm -hmm. and he was talking about the sense of like dislocation from from the modern world from democracy from mm -hmm. from like the way the country used to run that that, mm -hmm. that a lot of older people have, have felt like disappearing like they literally have felt like the control of their lives mm -hmm. in in every aspect from from like what the government is saying to like like what you can say online uh, to mm -hmm. to the, the the sort of rise of of unaccountable power in terms of um big corporations lobbying for for policy and and, and politicians lapping up their their money and their their legislation mm. that they they write for them and then give to them, <laughs> um, and that that like people, people as you as you say understand that okay maybe they don't get the specifics and the exact reasons for having that feeling, but but people are incredibly intelligent at understanding when something isn't right, and mm. and 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 I also think that people people don't get enough credit like like the most popular show in the world for i don't know how many years there was game of thrones and it is not an easy story to follow that is not a simple like 30 minute sitcom like you're talking about huge expansive storylines with 20 different like main characters and intertwining yeah. things and and people were, were were in love with this show like, yeah. i don't think that's a coincidence <laughs> no no i mean i, 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 I yeah, I think you're totally spot on there. Um, I mean, the, the thing with Brexit and Trump that uh, struck me so hard was that, well, you know, why would people do this? Um, you know, even in the last election, I mean, 70 million people voted for Trump. Mm, 73 including, million. 73 million, sorry. Uh, including, I mean, I was you know, including um, uh, a higher proportion for a Republican candidate of, of black women, Latinos, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you know, why, why are people so desperate to do this? Well, there's, and why would they, are they so desperate to vote for Brexit? And, and of course, with Brexit, it was the only thing they could do to, to sort of go, hang on, we're fed up. And it's not difficult once you get into the economics and the impact of neoliberalism to, to see the way in which uh, inequality has been driven and the classic uh, stuff 
uh, about the left behind, which um, Mark Blythe, have you, have you, I don't know whether you follow him anyway, he really does a good job at uh, explaining how actually they're not just left behind, but their incomes have dropped and dropped and dropped in the States. And it's the same in this country. And um, people are going, what the hell do we do? And, and of course, the, the, the uh, Barnier, I think it was, the uh, EC commissioner said a lot of people throughout Europe feel that their cultural identity is endangered. And it's become endangered because of the mass migration that's going on within Europe. Um, and, and you can't just say, well, you know, this is terribly good for you and it's terribly good for everyone. And, uh, you know, off, off you go and, and get on with it. When rightly or wrongly, you feel that if you're, well, you know that, sorry, your incomes are static or going down and you see a load of immigrants arriving, doing all of these jobs. And of course, particularly in Britain with the education system, the, the, particularly the vocational education system, I mean, here's another part of the systemic picture um, leaves many people coming out of school underskilled or indeed unskilled. Compare that with continental Europe, where vocational education is the norm from 15 onwards. And here are all these highly skilled competitors coming towards you. Uh, on top of that, um, actually, free movement of labour is a fundamental of neoliberalism, because it means you can drag labour from anywhere and the price goes down and down and down. So that, I mean, there are all these influences going on, uh, which cause, uh, yeah, people to do apparently crazy things like Brexit. And of course you can, I mean, the other thing that goes on, that just the resentment that this leaves with the left behind. And then what happens? You know, you start othering and it, and it you know, it doesn't really matter who the other is, but, but you know, some of it comes out in out-and-out uh, uh, racism mm. um, uh, or incipient racism, which, which <laughs> yeah, it's bad, but why don't we get back, as I think you're doing, to the origins of the cause? <laughs> and then, you know, we might be able to actually improve the situation. Mm. I mean, it was like, you, you're, you're so right. You, you can't just like, you can't just tell people, oh, you should be happy with the world. You know, everything's yeah. fine. You know, just accept that we think it's fine and you should just vote how we want. And that's, that's yeah. how it should be. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's such a crazy idea. Like, and I, yeah, it's a, it's a point I've made um, numerous times already since the US election was that like, all of the Democrats, all of them, they're all just ignoring the fact that 73 million people voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. They just, they, they, they have no desire to confront what that is. Mm. And, and like people can debate what it is exactly, but there's mm. something that makes like, like 73 million people yeah. vote for someone that you have told everyone is the worst person for that job. The worst person just period for four <laughs> years straight. And they still went out and voted for him, but more yeah. of them, like, like way yeah. more than last and time. And then it was it was like um, you know you you go back to Obama who you know was uh, well I, I've never met him but I, but as far as I can tell he's a decent human being certainly his speeches you, you know lay out a, 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 an agenda of humanity and concern and all the rest of it 
Um, uh, when he found a bit of power, he, he did uh, 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 Obamacare Obama in, in the health service. But that once he got into power, he was in this system. And the system is dominated by money and corporate money. And at the end of that is Wall Street. So it's like, okay, Obama arrives with all these great ideas and thoughts. And then he said, hang on, chump, you know, that's not it. Mm. Over here, it's a Wall Street government, mate. So off you go and get on with it. So, I mean, he got through, but then they put up Hillary Clinton, um, who I'm not sure she was a terribly good candidate anyway. Mm. Um, and it's like, oh, uh, the situation is going to stay the same. Uh, you're still going to be shafted. Uh, but at least they're a Democrat. And it's like, well, I'm not terribly sure. I mean, if only Bernie Sanders had stood uh, against Trump, then I think he he might well have got through. Um, it's, it's the same uh, in this country where, you know, for goodness sake, the Labour Party, and it's the same with the Democrats, has, has lost touch with the working class. I mean, yeah, there's a sort of clue in the name, you know, the Labour party this is the party of people who labor um but it's now dominated by professional educated middle classes you know often living in big cities um who have actually done quite well out of the prevailing system and are sort of i'm terribly sorry to say it but are the haves and, and yet all of these have nots uh, they've lost touch with, they don't understand. Actually, they often criticize uh, and ridicule and, and uh, stigmatize. And, and yeah, and I don't know whether the Labour Party will ever reconnect with the working class, the working people, but um, at present it's not. No, I mean, I, I, think, I think honestly the death, the death cry is the fact that Sir Keir Starmer is now uh, the head of the the working class party. Um, I mean, I mean that's just, and you're you're right as well. It's the it's the the benefactors of neoliberalism that are now running the party that is meant to be representing the victims of 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 that system. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a that's difficult well. yeah. I don't know. I don't know where you go from here because so one of the things I wanted to ask you about actually is like, so we can sit here and we can lament the, uh, the British political system and we can, we can think a lot about, about how we might, about where we might want to end up in terms of like what we want. So like a, a written constitution, perhaps reform of like a second legislative body or chamber, perhaps like electoral reform. But yes, absolutely. But before, well, yeah. Before that, we have to figure out how we, how we completely like reform and like reconstruct the train we're on while it's still on the track, mm. and it's going forward at hundred miles an hour through mm. a whole bu a bunch of barriers that I kind of laid out earlier. The the invisible threats as such yeah, that yeah. I think are coming for us, and like where do we even begin to to try and 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 decentralize mm. that that power that you, you you've said sort of concentrates mm. at the top and then as soon as you mm. get there everyone goes well no we can't be giving that away yeah, yeah. um i'm uh very active in the campaign for proportional representation uh through a thing called make votes matter and i i 
think that, well, that certainly is a major lever. And, and if it's possible to get the Labour Party to put that into their manifesto, not we're going to do it, but we're going to have a proper process, including a citizens convention for uh, addressing it and then uh, hopefully put it into law. Because, I mean, these two parts, I mean, if you get a duopoly, you know, it's like, oh, there are only two supermarket chains. Uh, there are only two car manufacturers, you know, are you happy with that? I mean, what sort of standards are, well, they're just going to go, and that's what's happened when you get two political parties, the same situation coincidentally in the States. It, 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 in the, around continental Europe, uh, and, and indeed around the world, where you've got PR, things are not as bad as they are in Britain. Uh, and you can look at the trust in government measures and all the rest of it. Uh, that said, <laughs> the rest of the world is also pretty much of a mess. So there's a lot more to be done. But, but I think in terms of freeing up, the, the second thing is that I'm very much of the view now that just do stuff locally, you know, try and get your village, your group, your community, your interest. I don't know, is there a helicopter noise coming in? There is a little bit, yeah. Okay, I, I, they're rescuing people possibly or just having a practice. Hopefully they'll okay. go away. So um, I, should be able to the, take, I should be able to take some of that out when I do the okay. edit. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so local stuff. I mean, a, a, an extremely small example, uh, we live on a stretch of road, uh, which is a 30 mile an hour uh, thing. And it's uh, there for, you know, it, it, I'm not into, into you must drive at 30 miles an hour because it says 30 miles an hour. I mean, there is, well, there is a why, as you said earlier, there's, you know, there's goats, sheep, cattle, rocks, trees, people, etc. They're just around the corner. Our wall has been demolished twice. Um, the uh, but there's also noise, which is which is litter. So so the council for years and years, will you put repeater signs up? Just you know, 30, 30, 30 remind people, which most people do take notice of. Not everyone. Anyway, I've never done it. So I bought some thirty mile an hour signs and I went and put them up. Um, and in the sense that the, the, I grew up in the 60s and direct action was what we did. And, and I really, really, you might say I was terribly old fashioned. I, I don't think it is. It's like, should we, should we just sort of seize the time uh, and get on and do stuff? Um, I think the second thing is pushing back against any uh, 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 sort of mindless bureaucracy and, and of course, often you just, I mean, if you're applying for benefits, well, you have to go through the mindless bureaucracy. I appreciate any time you get an opportunity, particularly in your organization. So I've been told by the Open University uh, that I have to complete e-learning uh, on what's called prevent counterterrorism. Uh, yeah, prevent. Yeah, that's it. I think so. Something like that. Anyway, it's, it's all about... Um, uh, you know, people becoming terrorists um, and, and spotting them early. Now, yeah, <laughs> I 
see your expression, Josh. <laughs> Let's pursue the point, <laughs> which, which, which is that. Um, here, here's an objective. Okay, we, we, you know, we do want to prevent people, you know, charging down London Bridge and, and, and killing people. Um, but I have no contact with students whatsoever. I'm, I'm an unpaid visiting research fellow. So I wrote back and said, look, you know, I could just about understand, I mean, whether, does it work? Uh, you know, <laughs> come on. but um, I could, so I've come back and said, Terry, you know, okay, your policy is that I have to do this. Well, I'm terribly sorry. My policy is that I don't do anything unless there's a good reason. And just push back, push back, push back. And it, it might be companies. It might be, you know, the dreaded Google or the dreaded Amazon and, and these sort of big corporate monsters we, we can avoid. Um, there's all of that talking, this sort of stuff, you know, where, where we, we gradually change the political discourse. We, we talk to our neighbours, we, we change their minds, we change their ways of thinking. Um, I mean, I don't think, I mean, people are talking about a civil war in the States. Mm. You know, I mean, serious talk about a civil war. The, the social dilemma, have you... You know, yeah, I mean, and, and the end of that, but also others. Uh, There's a piece in the FT the other day about their constitution, um, and I can I can just feel that that we're not so far. I mean, from by using you know from the revolution, from people revolting. Now, how that form of revolt, I don't think it'd be armed, but in the sense of saying, look, enough is enough for Christ's sake. Um, but it is this sort of podcast where people can go, you know, people are hooked on, they're addicted to politics and, and, and the, the sort of adversarial debates and then they're hooked on, oh, you know, the wonders of Boris Johnson or indeed the wonders of Piers, uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, well, sorry, lads, <laughs> this isn't going to make very much difference at all. Indeed, you could vote for me. It still wouldn't make very much difference. But, but I mean, to come back to your, I mean, the way I envisage this, Josh, is that, is that at some point or other, um, we, we need to get onto the agenda and, and into action, progressively changing the system of governing in the ways in which we've, and, and other ways in which we've talked about, um, that that is a program for a government, you know, this would take four or five years. But what do you do about the other stuff? Well, actually, by and large, don't touch it. So, yeah, we've got a sort of malfunctioning-ish, all right-ish health system. Well, don't fiddle around with it again because it's been fiddled around with since Thatcher's day continuously. We're reforming it. We're reforming it. Oh, bugger me, it's still not reformed. There's the surprise. Um, schools, ditto. So just keep away. Only deal with the things you have to deal with, the pandemic being an extreme example. Um, yeah, sorry, should I stop talking for a minute? That's all right. Don't worry. Like you said, podcasts are, are, are where you can discuss things. Like you, if you if you feel you have to have some more things to say, that's fine. I'm just well, taking this all in. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's the, the end state fallacy. Right there, we are. Brum, manifestos. 
here we are, we're, you know, I'm offering you, the voter, a shopping list of our policies. Uh, and uh, the other lot are going, here you are, here's a shopping list of our policies. Um, but actually you find that in practice, every policy is an experiment. Okay, we've passed the law, and now we put it into practice. And now, you know, what happens? Well, because of the system that it enters of great complexity, which has all of us human beings hanging off the end, and quite what we're going to do as individuals and let alone as groups is unknown. Uh, so, they, so that's an experiment. You have a welfare policy, you're intending to do this, but actually where does it end up? Every policy is an experiment. So this notion that you can policyize an end state into existence is complete and utter nonsense by and large. So you then say, well, hang on, why on earth do we have manifestos where all these people are saying we're going to create this wonderful world that looks like that? Well, it doesn't work like that, chumps. Yeah, it's it's a completely different basis. So so something I think we can all do is to say, well, you know, why are you offering me all of these policies? Why not offer me how the system you're going to change it that will make good things happen? rather than this is the good thing that's going to happen. Mm. I mean, that speaks very much to the, the, the ideas of, um, I think it was the US military actually did some studies on what was the best way to get uh, like results out of their like, um, different units, officers, generals, and sort of up and down the hierarchy. And they found that the best way to do it was to, to for example, give like a, a unit and his commander like their goal and then just let them sort it out themselves. And they yeah. find, they find, like the US military run a lot of studies on a lot of things because mm. um, they, they have a lot of money to burn because yeah. of their, their outrageous budget. But yeah. also because uh, to be the best military in the world, you have to understand how to get the best out of people. And they did some really, like, really expansive and comprehensive studies on, on how to get the most out of even the lowest, smallest cogs in their system. And mm. it was to give them as much autonomy as possible in achieving the goal that had already been set for them. So you mm. set them the goal and you say, this is what we want. And then mm. they allowed their, their, their officers or, or soldiers to figure out the best way to do it. And they put enough trust in, their, in the, the, the people who are actually carrying out the task mm. to figure out the best way in which to do it. So that they were, they were like decentralizing con control of it. And, and yeah. honestly, I think that's something that, that's really... Uh, is, is really well, coming to me at the minute. Like the, 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 vert, like the big over, overarching structure versus like what people can do on like a really local level. Because I used mm. to believe that like the best solution for climate change was like a big, huge government program. Mm. And, and slowly over the last couple of years, I've come to the conclusion that there is literally the best solution is the absolute and complete opposite of that. It mm. is to get people at an individual level mm. to sort themselves out. And say, mm. look, guys, here's some ideas. Here's some things mm. we're going to help you with. Like we're going to like make it easier for you to put solar panels mm. in, or we're going to make it easier for you to to compost or have like a community garden. But like the, ultimately, like it, 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 the world changes when one person, just starting with one person, decides that they are going to make something slightly better of their life, 
and they mm. start with that and then it spreads out a little <clears> bit to the community and then or their family or their circle of friends and then maybe they inspire one other person to do something good and 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 slowly like these things like ripple out faster than you could you could probably ever ever uh, imagine whereas at the minute i, I feel like on a lot of issues that we're like uh, it's an analogy you used actually is that uh, tony blair got to the got to the got to number 10 and he realized he had all these levers and buttons to do stuff but they weren't actually doing anything <laughs> Well, I mean, stacks of, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a incredibly rich uh, commentary you've made there, Josh. I mean, the, uh, what you describe uh, in terms of the US military and their style, that's also exactly the philosophy of Toyota uh, that make some of the uh, most reliable, highest quality cars. Mm. Uh, Isn't it a, a, a Nissan, and they went into a Nissan factory, was it? Was it Nissan? And they, it, they could have been. it was like failing and they took over. It didn't change any of the workforce and they just uh, yes. asked them how to fix it. Yeah, I know yeah. the study yeah. you mean. And, th and that notion that actually this knowledge of how you best fit the rear axle. Well, you, 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 why should I know? You fit it, but off you don't do it. Um, a, B, uh, US military, big users of systems thinking. Um, you may not like them, uh, but by God, as you say, they're, they're um, really, really thinking. Um, <clears throat> uh, Ashby's law of requisite variety, sorry to introduce this, um, but basically says, if you're going to control something from the center, you need to know as much about what's going on, um, well, in Innsbruck, for the sake of argument, uh, as those people in Innsbruck do. Uh, and you can do that if it's something very simple, like issuing a driving license. For almost anything else, you're never gonna have enough knowledge and information at the center to, to be able to exercise that control. So, you know, again, it, it sort of plays back to, um, to, uh, to uh, decentralization in a massive way. It, exactly what you say in terms of climate change, we're doing the same thing here. Um, in, in, you know, encouraging, developing, uh, being consumers of local food, uh, because you know, it doesn't take a brain, uh, uh, someone with brain the size of a pallet, to work out that actually flying food all around the world for all sorts of reasons is not a runner. Um, so, so doing those things, J just back to the US military, uh, they've done their systems thinking, what are the biggest threats the US military are going to have to deal with? I think they, they define climate change as the biggest threat, right? Exactly, exactly. So climate change, which will induce mass migration from the South and Central Americas up to the middle of America, uh, and then secondly, uh, civil disorder where com competition for resources, indeed even food, will break out. So the US military knows what's happening. It'd be a jolly good idea for one or two governments, you know, rather than sort of talking endlessly about it. Because, I mean, that's the thing about the, the, the planet, the biosphere. Uh, it sort of doesn't listen uh, to the Today programme, or politicians, or read the news stories, or take any notice of policies. You know, if you keep throwing <laughs> pollution into it, 
it will get more and more upset. And then at some point or other, it's a sort of flash to bang time, you know, when, when, when there's an explosion, you see the flash and then it takes a hell of a long time before you hear the bang and, and the, the shockwave comes and kills you. Mm. And, and the planet's the same, you know, the, the flash to bang time is so enormous. But by God, you know, there's a hell of a bang on its way. <laughs> we need to stop upsetting the biosphere because mm. it's bigger than us. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the one of the biggest things about about the climate change uh, the argument is that so a lot a lot of the pushback about say like a carbon tax, for example, mm. is uh, that it's 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 just like another way for arbitrary control from the top down, mm. and and like the 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 decentralization of of a lot of things is is. For like like if you if say if, if Boris Johnson really 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 wanted to like yeah. be the libertarian that that he claims to have been that we've seen a lot in in his speeches especially mm. against Brexit to be that mm. champion of the people mm. just like you've got a green industrial revolution you've launched you you're saying that you want Britain to be ahead of everyone please I I beg of you put a solar panel on every single available pl- space of roof that there is. Just everywhere, like literally everywhere. Um, it doesn't have to be that hot. It, you, you just need to get sun, like because solar panels actually function better at lower temperatures, which I've discovered, which makes Britain a much bigger, like better candidate for solar power than oh. I actually believe was possible. Yeah, because oh. a friend, and, a friend of mine, and I, we were asking each other. We were like, why don't they just put like a just a monstrous solar array in the Sahara Desert? Yeah. Um, so it turns out there's two things: the sand. Uh, covers the you have to like hire people to constantly clear the the sand off them and uh, and you would have to uh it doesn't they don't function as well at high temperatures which is why for example here in austria they have a stupid amount of solar panels in a country that gets like a a pretty good amount of sun but it's freezing cold for five months a year but they're still they're actually they're more efficient in cold weather than they are in in hot weather which is really cool and it, it just it would be the most brilliant like way of decentralizing the problem is like a you're giving people like a chance to 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 help save the environment and lower lower britain's carbon footprint b you're putting money in everyone's hands c you're like kickstarting the economy by by getting people to have have to install and maintain said solar panels like you just the 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 number of benefits is just endlessly compounding yes and and the same the same i think there are 26 million homes in britain that are badly insulated you know the housing stock is pretty poor not least uh because uh the regulations they relax the regulations uh on uh new build um (laughs) there are so many simple things to be done boris why didn't get on and do for them but but yeah it's all but but it's the will and and i do think we have uh exhibited a sort of collective incapacity to face up to this uh, this apocalypse, which actually is coming down, and you know the boiled frog analogy. Mm. Yeah, and and we're all sitting here. You know, and it's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. Ah! And then we're going to die. And sort of translating that into the will um, in Schopenhauer's terms. You know that the, okay, we are going to do something now. Uh, and we're all going to get on with it. Uh, and this thing about the, the, the reciprocity, I will if you will, 
well, I will, you know, will you? And it's like, yeah, uh, does anyone want to, you know, a lot of people, as we've discussed, have terribly good lifestyles. We're, we're all fat and happy. We're content and all the rest of it. A lot of people don't, but, you know, a lot of people in the, in the powerful rich countries producing the most pollution are. Um, well, yeah, but are you just trying to put off the rainy day, you know, put it off, put it off well, just sort of carry on, a bit more air conditioning, you know, so on and so forth. Or are we going to go, look, um, actually, if we start to get on top of this, if, 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 if we make a collective decision that, yes, we're going to chain and change our ways of living, which, I mean, it's going to happen. doesn't matter. There's an awful lot of people in the world whose uh, ways of living have been changed by climate change already. Just, just ask anyone from a bushfire to, to a famine. Uh, it's going to happen. So, so why don't we get on top of it and, and, and if you like, take back control <laughs> rather than, you know, oh, God, it's all awful. You know, I can't do anything. Well, then we then we get motivated. Yeah, it's going to be shit, but but let's get on and uh, let's get cracking, mm. uh, as you say. And the, and there are so many things. Okay, what, why, how? If I could chuck that in, so we know what to do. Um, you, you you know, have just uh, produced one thing there, but the whole string of other things. We know what to do. We know why we've got to do it because. Basically, well, the end, the end game is we're all dead. Um, so, yeah, let's get on and do it. But the how. So, so how do you get a major oil company um, off um, its, it, it, its addiction to producing oil? Um, not, not by shouting at them, um, uh, but by, by working with them and saying, okay, what can we do? Now, in order to do that, you've got to have the systems of governing that mean rather than, oh yeah, we roll over when Shell come through the door and do whatever they want to do and, you know, our policies are this. Well, well, actually, no, we, we've got a system of governing constitutions where, which means we do this. I mean, I think car carbon taxes in the sense that they put a price on the pollution of the, you know, the planet, the biosphere, nature, or whatever you want to call it, and shifting the, econ the, the economics, sorry, is terribly important. Carbon taxes uh, uh, have a role, I think. But, but as you say, it, it, if you just do that in isolation, it's, uh, it, it's, not, uh, it's not there. Um, if I can just um, have a pop, I'm, I'm not sure I've had a pop at too many people today. Um, conventional economists, it's important to remember that conventional economists treat the environment as an externality. In other words, in all of their calculations, it doesn't count. You, you, can, you can, you know, pollute it and extract from it as much as you want. And you go, oh, uh, that strikes me as a pretty bad idea. We can't go on like that. But actually, if conventional economics had not treated the environment as an externality for the lifetime of its uh, existence, uh, we wouldn't be in the mess we are. And I do have a forecast, which is in the uh, International uh, Court of Crimes Against Humanity, 
all conventional economists will be arraigned uh, within fairly short order. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of um, interesting monetary theories that are being batted around, about, uh, batted around at the minute about what's going to happen with uh, to the economy after this year. Uh, and yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people going to be proven wrong. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, know who's sure. going to be right, but um, there's a lot of people going to be wrong. Yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, but I mean, that's the point. Partially, that's the point. It, it, you know, we, we live in this world now mm. of great uncertainty uh, where, yeah, you can't, I mean, even if you could policyize an end state into existence, you certainly can't now. Mm. So, so how do you manage? Well, part, yeah, I should have said earlier on, actually, what, what I do is called systems thinking in practice. So, so it's not about a theory, and theory is very well founded, uh, you know, in, in the office, and then, okay, off we go and do that. It's about taking your theories to a situation of concern and applying them in practice. And of course, in practice, you get feedback and things happen and things are different. And so you adjust what you're doing. Um, but yeah, the, 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 we're going to need a lot of in practice. What do we do rather than, yeah, here's a nice uh, announcement from uh, some uh, prime minister or other. So what, did you, what would you say to someone who's sitting and, and listening to this and thinking, no, you know, these, these, guys, these guys might have a point. There's, there's something seriously wrong with our political system mm. and, and um, maybe electoral system mm. and maybe our economic system. And, yeah. and I, I, I would like to do something about it, but I have no idea where to start. Like, well, mm. what do you do? Do you, do you have to like, I don't know, follow Lawrence Fox on Twitter who's calling for, for revolution in the streets? Do you have to, um, I don't know, just refuse to vote and, and participate in the system? But that, mm. to me, never really seemed like it was doing much. Mm. Uh, like, where, where, where does the ordinary person begin? Uh, talk. Um, uh, you know, in the, over the back fence of the garden, uh, in the pub. Uh, uh, I mean, if, you know, you're meeting your MP or your councillors, just anyone talk, 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 um, uh, which, which is, and, and, and not least talk to try and understand why people don't want to do anything. Um, and, and, you know, don't, going back to earlier, don't sort of go, oh, climate deniers, you know, write them off, uh, uh, climate avoiders, uh, climate ignorers, write them off. Because actually, uh, they are the people who, have probably got a best grasp of what to do to maintain their mental health. Because, you know, frankly, if, if you actually think about and understand the science and where we're going, uh, it's scary stuff. It's depressing stuff. So I look upon climate deniers as in many respects, very rational people who want to maintain their mental health. Um, the next step then is to say, um, okay, uh, I've, I've heard of all of these objections. And, and I, I speak to someone the other day who was saying, well, the parts per million, you know, it's all right. And, and in some respects, it's about knowledge and information going, well, actually, if you look at the statistics, they're not all right. 
but part of it is also understanding that people don't want to change they don't want to give up their lives but that you know there is a better life awaiting on the other side so giving them a better a better vision um uh giving them some sense that the the future rather than sort of going back to you know we're going to be living in caves and wearing sandals and eating turnips the will we'll actually this nature thing it was one of the things I've, i'm living in north wales now and you, we're very very connected with with nature you know it's it's, it's well there's there's a roof and some windows that keep the storms and the winds and the rain at bay but but it's very present and it's in a farm a, a farming area sheep farming particularly cattle farming as well um it's very rural so so that sense of nature you know you can't avoid it unlike if you live in a city i i was um sat you know contemplating the mountains uh, the other day and i was thinking christ this is luxury this incredible luxury you know I'm, and and yeah people say we're well, all very lucky yeah i am very lucky um I, and you know and i know a lot of people aren't lucky but but you know looking at these mountains it you know as a piece of luxury this is far far better than a gucci handbag <laughs> or, or even a ferrari you know in terms of what it gives me yeah so so yeah you you can go off and and we sort of there's a lot of displacement isn't there into consumerism where we buy all this stuff and you know i've been having a conversation with my grandchildren actually uh they call me train granddad for to distinguish me from the other granddad who is not into trains quite as much as i am and uh so train granddad uh why don't you buy us presents for our birthdays and actually i really they've got loads of stuff you know and and they've got one the really good parents they've got uh loads of educational stuff etc etc et i said well i hope you didn't say that to them <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't don't worry about it i'll 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 fix it as much okay. as i can so so i said i said to them look i really really struggle to buy stuff which is just going to add to the pile of accumulated well the pollution in producing it and then you know typically the plastic pollution off the end of it but also the notion that that somehow this is good for you or or is a benefit to you and i said well what i'd really like to do is to put some money into a savings account for you so that when you get to the age of 18 and you want to go on a uh a gap year or you you all go to college or indeed just uh do whatever you've got a really nice pot of money and each year you know that's building up and um they sort of understood that and and I think in ways of orientating people away from this this consumerist addiction there there's an example of of what you know well i as an individual can do every individual can do in terms of the choices we make but 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 the point about saying actually there's this wonderful thing called nature and if you get into it it's not it's not just a sort of nice to have and something you ought to do because you know it's good for you it's far better 
Taniguchi handbag, a Ferrari, or anything else. So, so those um, those are, those are some things. Uh, yeah, and then some of the other things that we've talked about, which which is being demanding. Being, let us all be demanding of politicians. So, you know, we, we, I'm terribly sorry, but you're talking bullshit, you're lying, um, that's nonsense, uh, that's not going to work. How is that going to work? What on earth are you doing? You know, it's just not good enough, politician X, Y, Z. And, and us as a populace, you know, we're restless. Well, well let's channel that restlessness. And, and then... Uh, pushing uh, and demanding that we have to change the systems, uh, as 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 we've discussed. Mm. There's definitely something in that sort of not accepting politicians' bullshit. Yeah, uh, that, like, like there's there's a reason that Donald Trump stood on that stage with eleven eleven fucking professional politicians, Republicans, and destroyed them all. Is because he called them on their shit. Like he, he might have done it in a pretty uncouth way, but he called them all on their shit. He said, you yes. voted for Iraq, you voted for Iraq, you yes. voted for Iraq. And people yes. cheered, like the Republicans, yeah, the yeah, pro-war yeah. Republicans yeah. all cheered. Yeah, and, and I mean, that you, you see the discourse on television, you know, and you have these pugilistic interviews, you know, it's like Andrew Marr, you know, sort of, you know, and I mean, London journalists have just got heads, you know, they complain about algorithms. Well, they've got heads full of algorithms. You know, and when someone says X, the, 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 the algorithm goes Y, and, and why wouldn't you do this? Or, and therefore you're in favor of, and it, and it clicks in. Well, you know, sod off for goodness sake. I'm, I'm, I'm really not having that. Um, <laughs> that's, that, it's a discourse that doesn't get anywhere. Can I chuck in consumer power? Consumer power can be very, very powerful. The classic example was e-numbers. I, I don't know whether you, you know, there the, the, are the, these chemicals that go into flavorings and colorings and so on. And they found, was it about, I don't know, 20 years ago that actually these things were causing, causing hyperactivity and, and actually a lot worse. Um, and people started, parents, you know, worry about their kids, uh, started going, we need to know what's in them. Uh, and by the way, we're not going to buy things. People were spending a lot of time at supermarkets, you know, so you've got E123 and E and so on and so forth. And uh, the amount of uh, crap put into sweets by companies has reduced very, very substantially. Um, you, you can see it in uh, other areas where, you know, sudden shifts occur and, and all of a sudden, you know, a company stops doing X or Y or Z. Well, we do have, you know, if we decide to use immense our consumer power, uh, we can use it. I try and avoid Amazon as much as possible. Um, but I, I, I see no reason to increase Jeff Bezos fortune beyond the 175 billion. Oh no, come on. That's wrong. like, who, who, who can get by on 175 billion? Like that's, 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 that's chump, chump change. Like, yeah. I mean, it does, it does emphasize the point actually, you know, that about inheritance tax, doesn't it? It's like, so, okay, we've got an existing economic system with financial system and so on. So, so, you know, the bloke has got 175 billion. Okay. I understand that now. We're going to give it to his children. 
Hello? What, what, what's, what's the economic value in giving it to his children? What, what's the moral justification for giving it to his children? There is none whatsoever. It's completely lunacy. In fact, if you took that money and said, right, uh, this in effect is becoming a cop. Uh, we've got a very good model here. We're going to give all of that money uh, back as dividends, as the co-op used to do, to its members. The members are people who bought stuff at uh, Amazon. And you disperse its ownership, in effect, into a mutual. And then we say, okay, you know, having, having that kind of monopoly, uh, but actually mutually owned, might not be such a bad thing. So, you know, yet another thing that would be relatively mm. simple to do. I can't remember where we were going, Josh, sorry. No, no, neither can I. I, I once said to my mum about uh, just, just like a really offhand thing. I can't remember what it came up and I was like, well, you know, if you really wanted like the fairest system in the world, you'd have a hundred, if you wanted like the purest meritocracy, you would have a hundred percent inheritance tax. Yeah. And she looked at me horrified because she wants to obviously leave her house to me, which I am very grateful of, obviously. But she was horrified. She was like, hang on, wait, you mean I worked all this time for this house and now I can't give it to my children? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a very interesting thing because in the sense that, you, you know, with the, that whole, th I want to help my children. Of course, we all want to help our children. Um, uh, but does that mean, therefore, we need to give 175 billion to Bezos. Yeah. How about just leaving them with a billion? I mean, is that, or, or, or maybe just 100 million? Or, you know, so, I mean, there's a cutoff, you know, where I don't, you know, is it a million? Is it yeah. 10 million? Fine. Okay. You can have your house, Josh. Hmm. But I'm you're, work, you're working with such like unfathomable amounts of money. Like I heard this stat like yeah. once, uh, like a, this year somewhere. I can't remember where I read it. But it was, uh, if you say, say you're just an average Joe in uh, the year zero AD, right? Jesus just got, is it AD? Is it when he was born? I know it's not quite right, but anyway, zero AD, you're working like a nice job as like a, 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 like a, I don't know, a smith or, or something. But for whatever reason, you're getting paid 2,000 US dollars a month, right? Mm. And that's not going to change. Mm. In the next 2,000 years, you just, mm. you work your 40-hour work week. Uh, you take your like two weeks of holiday every year and you get to the year 2020 having worked for $2,000 an hour, right? For 2000 years and you arrive in 2020, there are still 42 people in America richer than you. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's absurd, isn't it? I mean, it's the world has gone nuts. I mean, it's completely nuts and uh, it needs to change. Um, and it needs to change pretty damn quickly. Mm. So how hopeful are you, as a, as a final question, for the, the future of Britain? Um, I've, I've often said, I mean, this, you, you just may sound horrible and don't take it that way, but, but I, I had mixed views about Trump losing last time. No, me too. Uh, oh, fine, yeah. In the sense that, um, yeah, he's a complete and utter arsehole, but in the sense that, Biden represents a return to the status quo. It's, it's more social democracy sticking plasters on uh, the problems as such. Um, someone, I mean, Marcus Rashford has been doing great work on free school meals. And obviously, if you are getting a free school meal now, 
that's important. But it, but it's like, when are the celebrities going to go? Well, actually, yeah, free school meals, but they are sticking plasters. Yeah, what we need is fundamental uh, systems change. Um, so I was, I was ambivalent about the Brexit uh, referendum in the sense that it's a disruptor. It's thrown everything in the air. Um, I, mean, I mean, good old Johnson and, and his collection of uh, people from posh boys schools and chances, you know, going to make it even worse. But my sense is the thing has to get worse before it can get better. And, and if you look historically, um, that's, that's the case. So how optimistic am I? I mean, you see, Britain never does revolutions. You know, well, it did one with Cromwell and, and then Cromwell screwed it up. Ironically, but by the authoritarian controlling um, power-driven uh, nonsense that, that sort of sometimes comes out in apparently left-wing people. And um, yeah, so Britain doesn't really do uh, revolutions, unfortunately. So I, I mean, I guess, you know, we're just gonna sort of continue in this decline all, all the while, um, uh, you know, pretending that, that actually we're somehow this sort of great power and we're terribly important and we won the World Cup 3,000 years ago and, whoa, isn't that, you know, all of that nonsense. I mean, he can't even get his uh, metaphors right, you know. So in Wales, we, we've had a lockdown, which is the fire break. We call it the fire break. Oh, well, sorry, the government's called it, the Welsh government. So a fire break in a forest, you, you know, here's the fire, it's raging. And then you cut a fire break so it can't get to the next bunch of trees. So, so that sounds sensible. You know, you've got the virus, you cut this break and it can't get to the next set of trees. They called it a circuit breaker in Westminster. It shows, you know, just how ignorant they are of science, technology, engineering, anything other than sort of loose, woolly, politicized thinking. Right, a circuit breaker is you've got a, a high current coming along, you've got a switch, you break the circuit, uh, and so that's fine, there's no electricity. You then put the switch back, and the electricity keeps flowing. You know, it's just like, you can't even get a metaphor right. So, oh, I mean, I hadn't, I, I, I hadn't, I I hadn't thought of it like that. That's amazing. I hadn't, I, like the, the phrase irritated me when I heard it, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't like really thought it out like that. That's amazing. <laughs> It's sort of, you know, when you've got governed by metaphor and it can't even get the metaphor straight, well, you know, what hope is there? I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, I hope. I hope. I've got children and grandchildren. I hope. Uh, but I don't think uh, that, um, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't see, well, I'm going to work at change like you are, Josh. You know, I'm, I'm going to continue to do what I can to foment revolution um and just getting people to think differently and i'm going to carry on talking to people um yeah sorry that's quite a depressing ending really isn't it that's, that's all right look yeah. peter peter hitchens told me that i shouldn't be hopeful i should i should because that's the road to misery uh so <laughs> yeah. like that's not yeah. i don't think it's quite as depressing as that so it's all right yeah who's there's a philosopher isn't there who um begins with them is, is well known. God, what's his name? 
Incidentally, I think the guy you were referring to earlier on uh, about the somewhere people and the nowhere people is David Goodhart. David Goodhart, that's it. David Sumter yeah. wrote a book on uh, called Outnumbered. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, but yes, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, a lot oh, of fun and uh, educational, interesting. <laughs> Hopefully not just for me, but for people listening. Uh, well, it certainly is. I mean, for me as well, Josh, and I mean, you're, uh, it's, well, I'm going to get much more into your work and your work uh, sounds really, very good. Oh, thank you. I mean, I, I like to think, hopefully, that the world isn't coming to an end and that I have a lot of time to get better at doing what I'm doing, but, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, in some ways, you, I think you, 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 you've, got, you've got longer to, uh, to experience what's going to happen than I have. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, yeah. Strap yourselves in, folks. <laughs> it's all, you never know what's going to happen. I always say, I, I always make the joke uh, that the people in 1938 probably thought that was as bad as it could get when Hitler invaded yeah. Czechoslovakia. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, no, it can't get any worse than this. Right. Right. And, and of course, appeasement, you know, of, of Hitler, appeasement of climate change is, you know, there's great parallels there. Everyone's trying to appease it. Mm. I'm terribly sorry you can't appease it. I mean, it's, uh, you've got to get on and do something. Well, that's a, that's a lovely note to end. Um, I will link all your stuff in the, your, your podcast, your books and everything in the description below right. if anyone wants to uh, check out. But yeah, thanks very much. Well, thank you, Josh. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.